The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. Hello and welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm Michael Glennon and I'm joined on the panel today by Eddie O'Sullivan and Fiona Hayes. We're going to talk Heineken Champions Cup. We'll have a chat about the URC and maybe touch on Ireland's trip to New Zealand, which is later on in the summer. A bit like Leinster, let's get straight into it, folks. Lots of praise for Leo Cullen's side. Uh, they beat Toulouse 40 points to 17. Uh, Leinster scored four tries. Toulouse got a breakaway try and a pushover near the end. Eddie, in their four Champions Cup successes, there's been a lot of impressive performances, but where did this one rate for you uh, amongst the great Leinster showings? Um. I'd have to say I was pretty much right up there, you know. I mean, there was there was mitigation there for 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 uh, Toulouse for sure. But the thing about it is, you're in a Champions Cup semi final. You play a team like Toulouse, who are pretty much loaded up with internationals, and you never look like losing, you know. And it was a bit like that. It was a bit like Leicester, the Leicester game. Never looked like losing. Now they had patches where they had to work hard, you know, and but. It, it was never, there was no point where I said, oh, Leinster are in a little bit of trouble here. They were never really in trouble. You know, they had to work harder, they said, times, but that's to be expected. So when a team is winning those calibre of games, it, like in their comfort zone almost, um, you've got to think this is a serious outfit. You know, there isn't, it's going to take a hell of a, it's going to take a hell of a deal to beat them or something's got to happen to change the, 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 the momentum against them. And they didn't. They haven't played well all the time. If you take the Leicester game, yes, and um, you look at that Leicester game, you know they didn't have a particularly good performance, particularly in the second half. They brought a lot of pressure on themselves. Uh, if they look back, and I'm sure they did, their edges were very poor. They got themselves in a tangle in their own half a few times, and they, but again, they absorbed a mountain of pressure from the top team in the Premiership, and yeah, they got it done again. They, and and I, I thought last again was probably even better, you know, that they were in control the whole time. Now, I suppose some mitigation, um, Toulouse probably took a lot out of Toulouse beating Munster, you know, the whole day, uh, you know, the overtime, the everything, and Munster, to be fair, really put it up to them, you know, no question about that. It was probably Munster's best European performance for a few years, where they did a lot of things really well, and they needed that rub of the green that they didn't get, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a gut punch for them, because they could well be it could well be playing Lens this weekend. But I think Toulouse came to town. They had a big shift under their belt against Munster. Back to the same stadium. Uh, a home crowd against you again for the second week. Uh, but I still think, given, given, given them the benefit of the doubt on that, Leinster, to me, were in control from the off. And that's scary thought. When you're at that level of a tournament and you can give a performance like that where you'd never look in trouble, that's extraordinary to me in at a European tournament level. Yeah, and I think at least we, we, we could come back to that mitigation for Toulouse in a while, but for this performance, Leinster, Fiona, they deserve the plaudits that come their way. Let, let's just take a good day when we when we get it and, and sing the praises. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't the battle we expected, but Leinster were so clinical. They were unbelievable. I thought um, they were excellent at line-out time. You know, Tyke Furlong left the pitch. There might have been... Um, 
you might have been a little bit worried at scrum time, but look, they, they, they gave away a couple of penalties, I think, but they were they were they were composed throughout. Johnny Sexton, probably one of the best games I've seen him playing in a long time. Vander Fleer, you probably about six players looking at you putting their hand up for, for a player of the game. They were just Ross Maloney, another guy who, who should get huge plaudits. They were just brilliant. They're they free free flow and style of rugby. We saw Johnny pulling the strings in 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 attack, but it was just just the interlinking before Furlong went off that beautiful pass he skipped out to the wing. I mean, they have the ability to do that everywhere. I think there was cause for him to, to go into 12 next week if he's fit, but it just shows you, you know, how they've worked on their skills, how they've worked in the in the contact area. And you saw them bring that. They might have been a little bit lax against Leicester in the second half, but they knew the job at hand and they went out and they put the, the foot to, and they put the sword to, to that Toulouse squad who were definitely tired, but massive plaudits for Leinster. Yeah, and Johnny Sexton there, he, he did get the man of the match or the star of the match, what they're calling it these days. And I know there was talk about him kind of tempering his game, but there are other playmakers coming in. So when he gets the ball, he's flat to the line as he was in the past and he's mm-hmm. taking the hits and he's putting himself in the target line. But there's other guys stepping into the, into the playmaker yeah. role. So, I mean, that's where he gets his an extra bit of longevity. Eddie, yeah. was it important that he adapted his game as he does age. Yeah, I think Chinese longevity is is down to a number of factors. Um, and what you're talking about there is 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 one of them. But I don't think that it's the main ones. Like uh, the, the main ones for me is that obviously he's an extraordinary professional. Like I, I don't think there's a minute goes by that Johnny Six isn't thinking how he's going to get better at his game, even despite the fact of what he's achieved and where he is in his career. It's just it's which is always a sign of a great player. They're, on, they're constantly driving themselves to get better. They're never happy. Even, even when they win, you talk to one that, the, you know, these, these generational type players, they're never, they'll still find flaws in what happens. So there's that drive he has, which means every moment of his day is about, he's been a professional rugby player and what it requires. So then the second thing, which is kind of nothing to do with that in some ways, but very, very important, is our management systems of our players in Ireland. So Johnny Sexton, you know, is treated like somebody who's indispensable, which in a way, I suppose you could say that, but the point is the amount of uh, game, number of games he plays, his game time has all been managed right through his career. This didn't happen last week or last year. This has gone on since he joined the Irish team. We've been managing our players, like, you know, from from almost not so much season to season, but week to week, yeah. going on um, 20 years now. I'll tell and you, Ugo Mola, Eddie, just on that, Ugo Mola said that the two, the two out halves were swapping their jerseys after the match. Uh, one, 136, 122 years of age. Yeah. Uh, Johnny had played 12 matches this season and the other uh, remain Intermac 27. Yeah, um, that's, the, that's, the, that's a massive, that's the big difference. Yeah. You know, so but the fact that the, he's so professional, that's credit to him, the system. And then you're right, I think he's more selective about his contact area. I think if you go back to him a number of years ago, he was almost looking for contact. Now, he still won't shy away from it, mm. you know. Um, and the same on defence, he doesn't shy away from defence where, you, you know, they come at him because they expect him. But I think he's, he's got smarter as well. His techniques improved in the tackle. He used to put himself in bad positions years yeah. ago. And he was getting dinged, you know, he's getting his bell wrong more than he needs to. Um, but, so all those things help him. So, like, that's a, that's a major factor. He's been managed so well. But here's the thing, you know, I think is really important, um, is what Sexton has now in terms of his knowledge and experience of the game is colossal, right? It, it, like, 
you know, you can't buy experience and knowledge. You just learn. And he's been in so many high-pressure situations now over his career with Leinster and with Ireland, you know, talking about beating the All Blacks, winning the Grand Slam, you know, um, Leinster winning, uh, you know, the Heineken Cup and so forth. He's, his bank of knowledge is colossal. And what a lot of players don't get the opportunity to play with that bank of knowledge because their body breaks down. Fellas break down at 29, yeah. 30. But he's now in his golden years with all that knowledge. He's in phenomenal shape fitness-wise. So now he's in his own. He's in his zone like where he's, he's playing so comfortably with the ball because of his knowledge. And it's, that's an, it, it's, an, it's a fantastic thing to see. But that's all... Uh, uh, that's all a consequence of how his career has been managed and how he's managed himself. So yeah, that's why I think like at the moment, it's hard to find a number 10 in the world that is in a better place in terms of, of his game, but that's not an accident. It's not just one of the things that happened. It was, it's not happenstance. It's, it's actually the result of all the strategizing. Um, so that reason, I think that's a, and we can talk about what the impact that level in the final, but that's, that's why at the moment for me, Sexton is really in the zone. Uh, and you see him pulling the trigger at key moments. He's so smart. And the second try was peach yeah. because, you know, their third defender off, 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 off him, uh, the prop, you know, for some crazy reason, bit down on dummy runners, which is like, thanks for the use of the hall moment. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. then he tried to jump out the line and, and Sexton just skinned him on the outside. So that like that that's that sort of knowledge under pressure. That's 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 top drawer stuff. So my point is he's in a long, long way, he's he's not getting he's not getting any worse, he's getting better. <laughs> yeah, <And laughs> that's why his age and his yeah. experience. So you know, that's I, a massive for Leinster. Yeah, you know, and, and then you have someone like the, the Burns, you know, Ross and Harry Byrne, who were really world-class players. Yeah, were really, you know, were water carriers from, you know, but that's the way it is, you know. He's he's that's where he is at the moment. So that to me is a massive thing for Leinster. Yeah. Massive for Leinster. And Ireland, by the way. Absolutely. And the, the, the dummy he threw on Rory Arnold, I mean, I knew I played with forwards with and against who didn't know what a dummy was. So there was no point in trying to throw one. Didn't Arnold was only Arnold was a collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, he had the, 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 I think it's a tight head prop, Andre. Yeah, yeah. Andre was the guy who bit down to, on, on Ryan. He had no need to bite down on Ryan because yeah. Ryan was covered. And then he had a, an old shit moment and said, oh, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Turned his shoulders and jumped out of the line. So, like, you know, Arnold was just, Arnold was just the collateral damage. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was never going to get sexting. So, I mean, but that sort of knowledge under pressure at the game line. Yeah. Um, but I do think you're right. I go back to your original point. Um, he's more, he's, he's, he's much more selective about when he takes contact now. And you see him, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that to me is, I, I, I think, if, if I'm coaching a team, the last guy I want at the bottom of a rock is my 10. Of course, of course. You know, because he needs yeah, to be no on his feet. He's no use Exactly. There. His other guys can do that for you, you know? Yeah. Um, Fiona, James Lowe, he got himself into the shortlist for the European Player of the Year after being left off the, the long list. And Josh van der Fleer is there as well. He's probably going to pick up a Rugby Players Award tonight, more than likely. Um, who else impressed you on Saturday? Uh, Ross Maloney as well, one of the forwards that stood out. Yeah, Ross Maloney was brilliant. You know, I, I had talked about second rows. I had heard mumblings um, last week that James might 
possibly could have been injured, but and obviously he was worried about that area. But you know, Ras Maloney stepped in and Ryan with him, and he just put in he a colossal performance. And this is what you want from these guys. You know, it's your time to shine. He's up at the Viva. It's a it's a semi-final, and he brought the type of rugby we hadn't seen him. He's inter he's interlinking play for a second row. His hands are really, really soft. He was really, really good in the in the line out. I've heard um, you know, I, I heard I read an article, Bernard Jackman saying that he's instrumental in the call and and, and Leo Collins also said he's in the meetings even if he's not starting he's just a, a, a really good knowledge and unfortunately probably with his age we now he could be a bolter for the tour but we we mightn't see him in an Irish jersey he's reaching that peak level of playing of performance but I suppose it's the young guys you'll have to look at coming through go, going there now but he was really really good Gibson Park I thought controlled everything really really well and um Look, Alalatoal, he he had to come on. He had to, you know, no one expected Tyg Furlong to go on. I was thinking in the back of my head, would this early in the game, would they quite possibly bring Healy on and and move Porter over to the other side? But but they stuck with him. And look, he got stuck in. He done his job. Might have been a, it might have been a bit under pressure at scrum time, but I tried around the pitch. Although Lencer had a lot of ball, I thought he done really well off the ball as well. I thought his tackle tech was really good. So there, were, there was just a numerous performances. And obviously you've talked about uh, Kaelin or Van der Fleer. What about uh, Doris as well in the back yeah. row? He was just everywhere and every game I see him playing he's getting better and better he's absolutely lapping it up and he, he's turned him to himself into one of the, the world players as well he's someone that is definitely one to watch in this tour yeah the one the one Mayo let get away I mean many, <laughs> many All-Irelands would Mayo have had if they had kept him kept him up there and he played there and um, I was talking to Felipe Contaponi during the week he, he's obviously he's going to move on to the, the Pumas but he nearly hung up on me when I suggested that maybe Leinster are the only team that can beat Leinster uh, or can stop Leinster from winning a, a Champions Cup um, I was I watched the La Rochelle match and I went back to watch highlights again um, on the Champions Cup website the highlights start at 25 minutes in is the first piece of action um, the, and finished uh, finished at 25 <laughs> it was five minutes long and two minutes of that was referees no, it was well you know I was watching it like everybody else and, and in the back of your mind you're, you would have can't help but comparing it to the day before mm. and it was nowhere near like I thought both teams were tactically very poor uh, technically quite poor a lot of a lot of stars on the field a lot of power raw power but it was just a slugfest in a beautiful day yeah, you know yeah. um, where it was made for running rugby uh, it was a classic like grind out result I thought look credit to La Rochelle and Raj for getting there but they, they dodged a bullet like I mean Teddy Thomas should have passed that ball yeah. I mean yeah. you know like he like he should be wearing his Astro hat after that you know like it was just unbelievable a player at that level didn't execute a two on one with a game on the line yeah. it was a walk in and and that happened that Racing would have probably won it, but I just I just don't think Racing um, are as good as people make out. You know they're not they're not greater than some of their parts. They've got some great players, and again, you know Finn Russell has got the shepherd's crook. Yeah, you know he's 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 supposed to be you know your genius at ten. Big game uh, player. You know, so like so I I think La Rochelle did really well to come out the other side of that, which means that I think they're they're they're. They're definitely not favourites going into it for a number of reasons. Oh, but 12, Leinster are 12-point favourites mm. this far out to go to the south of the, France. Probably the biggest problem for La Rochelle is, uh, and, and the difference is the point we talked about, look at the two tens. You know, 
there's no comparison. And no. that's not taken away from their ten, but he's not a place kicker either. No, he missed it. He missed yes. yeah, yeah. five kicks west. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. He, he just he's, and that's been his MO in fairness. Like he he's not a he's not a he's not a world class place kicker, you know. And going to a final without a place kicker is a massive, you know, it's a massive thing to do. So, like on that basis of the two fly halves, you have to think that of course Leinster are favourites. Now, look, a final is a final is a final, you know. I mean, on the day, a yellow card at the wrong time, a red card. Uh, the scrum gets under pressure. Yeah. The ref sees it differently, and you're suddenly leaking penalties every scrum. It's a wet day. It just rains that, that particular day, and yeah. you can't get that fluid game plan. It's down to a slugfest or the breakdown. Like there's, there's a myriad of things that put into a final that you don't want to go wrong, but they could go wrong, and they could change the game. But going on as both teams sit. Yeah, Leinster are 12-point favourites. I think that's not an exaggeration. And that's no disrespect to La Rochelle. I thought they did a really good shift to get over, get over Rassing. But they were, they, they were got the rubble of the green a little bit as well. I mean, Rassing's kind of self-imploded as they tend to do. Yeah, and I, if you know, I don't want to talk down too much about La Rochelle, yeah. but at one stage, they were two points up and they were mm-hmm. playing against 13 men. They got a breakaway and... All I can think in my head is, you know, recycle, couple of phases, couple of passes, let it happen. And all of a sudden, this guy throws an offload and they give away a penalty and they don't score against the, the 13 men. And I was just thinking that you would need that. I love, yeah, the, the, the jouer jouer, but there has to come a point in a cup semi-final where you just switch on and be clinical. Yeah, and we've seen that with La Rochelle. We saw them when they beat Leinster, so they definitely have that in their armour, and I think O'Gara has parts of that brought to the game. I mean, I know you were talking about Iowa West, but I thought his kicking game has improved massively under O'Gara. Um, he missed three kicks, which was really unusual, and they were centre, they were there, thereabouts in front of the post. Um, I It was just a strange game from start to finish. When I watched it, you just wanted, like we know both teams at times, especially Racing, are liable to do anything. And that keep the ball alive, as you said, Michael, they definitely overplayed things at time. And I think pressure came on when the two players went off instead of just settling things down, drawing that defense in and and then going wide when when the the defense was narrow with the two players out. They didn't seem to do that. It was almost like everything went out the window and they forgot where they were. I do think with that we know Kerbarlo went off early in the second half as well he's massive for that Rochelle team and he's now going to be missing and when Riteri I think it's Riteri came on um I'm not great at the old French pronouncing, but um, I don't think he controlled the game as well. Um, he doesn't have that re- same relationship. Uh, Carbarlo and uh, West have built up a nice playing relationship. We see that they they play well together. I don't think he has the same thing. So O'Gar is going to have to go back and look at that. Um, I think it will be a different team that we saw. We know they're physically dominant. There is talk, maybe, maybe Will Skelton might come back into this side, but I'm not sure how fit he, he's going to be. We know how, how not how bad but we know Will Skelton isn't great when he's not fit we we saw that with Saracens um so I'm not sure he hasn't had much game time obviously he's a huge presence but I think Leinster are capable of dealing with any big ball carriers at the minute um scrum time they will be attacked we know that Antonio Priest are really good scrummagers and and they will go for them in that area um I I I predicted a really good game. I, I was looking forward. To, I was waiting all day Sunday to watch it, and it, it certainly wasn't that. But I don't think we'll 
see similar style of play from, from uh, La Rochelle. I think he'll change things up. We know that they are quite physical, but I think I think they'll be a little bit more structured and they'll have to be against the Leinster team. Very good. That match is on Saturday week. It's 28th of May at 4.45 kickoff. You can catch it. We'll have a live blog on our website and it'll be on RTE Radio as well. And um, Before that, we will turn to the URC. It's... Uh, Leinster will host Munster on Saturday evening at the Aviva. Leinster already guaranteed home quarter, fi- home quarter, semi if they get there and final if they get that far. Munster, on the other hand, need a win to guarantee a home quarter. Um, that's if Ed Sheeran doesn't come up with a surprise <laughs> concert and, and, and take home in the game. Um, they need a try bonus win if they, want to get se- if they want to guarantee a second seed for the semi-finals. Um, looks like uh, a Leinster second string, obviously, Eddie, um, how do you see this one going with, with something on the line really for Munster and not much for Leinster? Well, yeah, there's no doubt there's a lot of pressure on Munster for this game. Not just the fact that they, you know, want to cement their position into a home, uh, into a home quarter, but if they could, if they lose to a Leinster second string, that's just going to set their season back. That'll take a lot of the, the glow out of the, the Toulouse performance. That's a fact. You can dice it any way you want, but that's that's reality. Um, I think you know they'll go they'll go full out on it, and I think they'll win it. I think Monster win it. I think they should win it. They shouldn't struggle to win it either, because even if they win it and it's a struggle, it, it's it just like what what Monster did on the weekend is they need to go out like a well-oiled machine and just take Leinster apart. Now, will that happen? I don't know. Leinster have a still decent second string, but the perception is. Perception will be because if Munster stutter on the weekend, like losing isn't an option for him because that would be a real setback. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the whole psychology of it. But even if they stutter to get across Leinster, um, it 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 will be kind of a blow to their confidence because they're they're in a great space. Having even like, all the talk about Munster after the after the after the game against uh, Toulouse was massively positive. You know, if you didn't know the results, you'd think they won. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting narrative, you know, but. It was hard not to be, you know, to be positive the way they played. But actually, you know, they still lost the game, but they still got a massive boost out of it because they played so well. That can evaporate pretty quickly at the back end of the season from. And I'm just talking about next Saturday. I'm talking about how they play out the URC. Yeah. So it starts next Saturday against Leinster second string. And people might be offended by saying that, but let's call it a spade a shovel here. You know, it is a second string. And they've got to win that game pretty comfortably without too much fuss or it's the doubts that maybe, you know, to lose as a one-off and we're not where we thought would be, all that comes into play. And, you know, once start chasing silverware, they need to get to a final. So it's a lot of pressure on Munster. There's no pressure on Leinster here. Yeah. Nothing vital, to lose for them. Vital they build on that, um, Fiona. Yeah, they have to, you know, they have to go out there and win. Um, I suppose uh, from the Leinster point of view, you have a few guys as well who are trying to get on that Champions Cup um, or the Heineken Cup squad final, you know, so there, there's guys have a chance to play their way into that. We saw Ras Maloney playing well in the URC and then he was rewarded. So they definitely, they have, a, a, there's going to be guys with the bit in between their teeth trying to go out and tear into Munster, but there's no option. Munster have to win. They've, they've built their performances up from the last few since that Leinster game actually we've seen them improve in attack and and you know there has been a lot of chatter about that and how exciting it, it it's it's been at times um obviously can get a lot more exciting so so look i think it is 
the only thing with Munsters, they have a good few injuries. I think I, I saw the injury list. So you're looking at maybe Peter Romani being out and a few other kind of leaders. Um, they, I think Dialande, there's talk that he might be injured as well. So, so a few big uh, key players will be missing as well. But look, that's what it's all about. And they've built the squad depth to be able to get guys to step up and play. And I think um, I think Munster, after that two Lays game, they, they'd be wanting to go out and go back to Aviva and prove a point. So it should make for an interesting game, really. Very good. That's uh, Saturday at quarter past seven um, and that's on RT Radio as well. Ulster are fifth in the table. They have the Sharks at home and Vic do the leapfrog over them with a with a home quarterfinal. The last thing Ulster need is a, is a trip back down to South Africa for a for a quarterfinal. Um, we were talking to Dan McFarlane during the week. He said he didn't enjoy the, the quarterfinals or the semifinals looking on, as you can imagine, looking maybe where they thought they should have been um, in Toulouse's place. But... Eddie, the the loss to Munster, sorry to Munster at home after the the Toulouse win, which you could understand, had a great win away in Edinburgh, um, who hadn't been beaten at home all season. So Ulster and, and had a bit of time off now. Um, what would you think for for that game? Could you get a job done at home? Yeah, I think they will. But there's no doubt, there's no question or doubt that Ulster season has hit a wobble. Whether we like it or not, you know, like they they know they left the Heineken Cup behind them in terms of staying in the, in the, in the fight and then that last to Munster like again that's rattled their cage a wee bit I know they've recovered a bit as well but look they're, they're they've had the problem Munster have over the years historically is they've had fantastic patches in their seasons but when they've come to the crunch part of the season they've, like they, I remember a number of years they were top of the, the Pro 14 table or whatever it was at the time whatever ideation we had on it uh, at Christmas and then they were fighting for you know to, to get into the playoffs and they've hit that kind of a wobble again so I think they'll get it done and it's important to get it done you know for all the obvious reasons yeah. of ending up in that spot on the table but um, it'll come down to the day if they if things stick for them and they, the crowd will get behind them and there'll be, there'll be a lot of energy in the stadium it's, it's, you know they do feed off the, they're no more than one star length so they feed off the crowd really well kind of like the same so that's important to them but uh, I think they get it done, but I, I don't think they're the woods getting it done, but they're another step closer getting out of the woods. They are in a wobbly place at the moment for various reasons, but I, I, I sense they'll get this one done. But is that going to be, you know, this is going to turn the season around? We'll have to see, you know, it's still going to take another couple of big performances going back to where they were, you know, before they hit the wobble, you know? Yeah, they need a second wind, Fiona, um, if, they, if, they, if they want to push on again and be in the, the hunt for silverware. Yeah, definitely. And this is this is kind of a game they should be looking forward to. We know what the Sharks bring. They're they're very physical. I mean, but they're exciting. They've got Man Peepy. They've they've a few really good players. You got Kerwin Bosch at 10. They they offer a lot. We saw them probably, you know, at home. They're a different, they're they're a different thing team to deal with. They they build on that. And obviously it's harder to go to South Africa and play them over there. So so I think Ulster will be looking at this as probably a must-win game. They they know what they up in Kingspan, they know what the crowd has been like this year it's got them through a good few games obviously we've seen them wobble near the end um it's not the performances they're talking about winning cups and just when it comes to crunch time it doesn't seem to be happening for them they have the exciting players so i i, I think that this will be a huge game and it'll be huge for us to judge on where they are now in the season they've got a few weeks to work together you know they've had a couple of weeks off now and after that uh, lost to Toulouse, i'm sure they had to regroup and and look at mental side of things as well and look at why they can't 
finish off these teams. So so I think we'll see a different unit. And I think they will probably, hopefully, injury-free a lot of the guys. I don't think they have very many injury concerns in the squad at the minute as well. So we should see a, a full-strength ultra squad and they should beat this Sharks team. Yeah, in terms of in terms of form, Michael, though, the one thing to watch is that if you look at the form, like Sharks have won their last three matches on the bounce. They yeah. lost, you know, three out of four. You know, Ulster are are one out of four. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's where me that probably is the as Fiona was saying, they're going to need something to jolt them back into the zone. Yeah, and and yeah. this comes and that's the that's the pressure for them on Saturday. Like sure. it, it's not the end of the world if they lose. Mm. But it might be the beginning and end of the world to lose. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. they need to get their mojo back somehow. And and Saturday is a first step in that. And that's why I think psychologically Saturday is a massive game for Ulster. Yeah. yeah. The, it's it's up the top four inches for Ulster on Saturday, really. Very good. Yeah, that, that's a Friday night match. Um actually up in the Kingspan, uh, 7.35. And we will have um Conic V Zebras, the dead rubber on Saturday. That, but it's on five o'clock on RT2 and the RT player. Um, so maybe yeah, the Ulster Sharks match is going to be the, the, the match with most on it this weekend. One would, one would think are the closest one um, from this distance. Uh, big news this week was Fiona won the lottery and she's off <laughs> to New Zealand uh, for the summer um, as our the Irish rugby team. And they're going to play the New Zealand Maori twice as well. That was announced during the week that they have two midweek games. Um, Eddie, when you were there... And you, I think you capped uh, Luke. You would have capped Luke Fitzgerald, and we, we don't see that many young guys like nineteen twenty getting capped first time in Ireland. I mean, maybe just the way the system is. But is there someone you would like to see, maybe Nathan Doak or someone like that, to go there, get a cap, show in the deep end? What's this? What's the yeah. mentality or the, well, the thinking around capping or not capping? Uh, well, I mean, when you guys that age, when you go to New Zealand. Uh, you need all your hands on deck. You know, you're not, it's, it's not a it's not a summer holiday really. And you, when you get there, you realize it's not summer anyway. On there, it's winter. So, you know, I think the Maori games are going to be where you're going to see guys get a run out. I think that's and that was I think that was the whole. I think it's a great idea. Mm. He's going to be a lot more players though. It's not like he's going down there with the bones of a squad. He's going to put together, going to chop and changing. He's going down there with 40 or 42 players. I have to laugh now when I see that because remember there was. There was chaos uh, back in 2005 when um, when when the Lions tour uh, and and oh, yeah. Um, yeah you know uh, Woodward brought 40 players or 42 players right. people lost their mind. Now we bring you know you and that was a full on that was a, that was a two games a week tour a full on Lions How tour. Many did you have when you were down there? Uh, we always played uh, we always played just two tests down there. Uh, but what we did what my first year is we brought. We got a midweek game uh, against the county side, uh, but that was unusual. Now the reason, like the reason those old tours are gone, is just that uh, playing two the rugby has changed. Playing two games a week now is a huge demand on players, and it's the end of the season as well. Um, so you know it made sense not to beast guys to death midweek and then try and play. So I think this move, and it's a smart move by, by Andy Farrell to go over the Maury, Maury games. Yeah. I think it's his chance to get some younger guys. Going back to your question, who would I um, who would I like to see? Um, certainly I'd like to see Nathan Doak get a run, get a run under. Balakun's another guy I'd love to see getting a run. Ross Maloney, I think, should get down there, like no question about it. Um, I also think... Um, 
Prendergast in Connacht. Mm. You know, yeah, he's, he's been a standout guy for the year yeah. for me in Connacht. He's been outstanding. So there's a there's four like and there's more of them there, but they're guys who've been kind of who are going to find it hard maybe to break in in the autumn when the rubber hits the road. Like so, it's a great chance. For and the other thing you can't underestimate is touring is tough in terms of you're away from home, you're stuck in hotels, you know, um, you're tired at the end of the season. But the the value of being on tour away from home, on the move, with a, like. It, it actually builds a great kind of um, camaraderie and rapport in the squad. It's very hard to describe it, like, but it is great because they, they, they also tend to relax a bit off the field and there's a great energy around the team. And, and if you have a good summer tour, you can build on it for the, for the autumn. I remember in 2004, uh, we went to South Africa and we had two tests in South Africa, um, one in Bloemfontein and, and one in Cape Town. And we lost both those tests but we played actually really well in those tests. We really got our shoulders to wheel. And I really felt, I remember saying to the lads in the change room after that, because they were coming up that autumn. They were our first game that autumn. I said to the lads in the change room, I guarantee we'll beat them in the autumn. Because I just knew we had what it took. And we, we, were, we were burned out by the time we got to those tests. Like, to the end of the season, players were playing a lot more than they are now, even, in terms of the number of games they have their problems. So I just felt we had the core of a team. And we did beat them for the first time in years they came up that autumn under Jake White and to me the tour was the foundation of that autumn victory so there's a lot of things there that are of value but now the risk with New Zealand is probably a bigger risk than other countries is it can go pear-shaped and if a tour goes pear-shaped if you're getting whipped on the field it just sucks the morale out of guys because then if it you know we normally when things are going well, you get up in the morning, you feel tired at the end of the season, you kind of go, Oh, yeah, but we're nearly there. But if you get up in the morning, you're getting snot beaten out of you, uh, that fatigue feels worse. So, I, I think that if it the tour, it, New Zealand is a dangerous tour because it can suck a lot of energy out of you. If you get, things go badly wrong, it can really take the wind out of your sails. And then, let's be honest, New Zealand are waiting in the tall grass for us here, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> they're yes. still smarting from last they're still smarting from November they haven't forgotten that no of course they will be I wonder is there a mentality shift Fiona in that the last time Ireland toured down there they would never have beaten New Zealand before that so now once there have been what three wins um, yeah. over New Zealand that that is gone so that thing that we can never beat New Zealand is gone and that obviously if they, if they hit their straps and go under day they can, they can pull it all out but the, the thing of we can beat this and we, we have done it recently must come into play as well yeah definitely and Ireland will be going there confident enough I know you can't it's easy for me to say going to New Zealand confident but it's definitely you know I, I, I've watched this New Zealand team you know they're they're still missing a few key area players I mean their back row isn't as settled as as they would have been over the years um, I'm watching the Super 15 some of the, the key players that they would normally be relying on aren't probably playing the best rugby their lives either so I think it will be a very interesting uh, tour down there they're trying to get their squad ready I suppose for the up and coming World Cup they're trying to pick these guys and gel them together and we know at home and everything the crowds down there it's going to be and we know the physicality that they bring it's absolutely immense but I think this Irish team you know are on the back of a few wins I thought it was a very good Six Nations campaign um, Ireland are probably hurting over France you know because it was it was it was close and they'll be looking at these tests it's going down there and really stamping their mark on the world and saying to people look we've just won here in New Zealand we've won a series in New Zealand 
Zealand and we're and we're looking at the next World Cup. So it's a, it's a chance for guys to go in. And, you know, you talked about the, the Maurer games. I think that's really, really important, especially if they're moving tournaments or changing how, how, how tournaments are going forward. I think there has to be opportunities. Are, are they capped, actually? Are they capped, Michael? They are. I would say they're non-capped. I, I okay. They're non-capped. Oh, they're non-capped. Okay, well, I was just... But even for these guys to get the experience of playing at that level, I mean, we've had the Maori All Blacks have gone to the games in, in Towan Park. They they bring immense passion. They, You know, it's a, it's a very physical game and there's loads of young guys, old guys, whoever, that deserve to be playing in an Ireland shirt. But because the, the competition is so high at the minute, it's, it's very hard. Whereas now they get to go together in a big group and people could maybe make a stamp in one of the games and make their way onto the bench for the next game. So it's exciting to be able to bring a large squad away and it, it's really really good business by the RFU. If you look at it as well Michael the the kind of what's the, the cockpit chatter in New Zealand regarding rugby um, I think they're, there's, a, there's a bit of unease in New Zealand that they're not really developing that they're kind of stuck in a little bit of a inertia in their game um, the criticism seems to be coming out of New Zealand uh, of themselves is that they're not innovating anymore, they're playing a similar type game to everybody else. So, like, you know, the next World Cup is huge for them as well because, like, like South Africa won the last World Cup. New Zealand went out of it in uh, semi-final stage. Like, New Zealand were all about winning World Cups and they had a drought there for years that nobody would have predicted. Um, so, if they, if, they don't, if they don't feature in the next World Cup again, you know, they'll start to feel very uneasy about their place in, in the World Cup. Uh, which is massive for them. So um, there is a certain unease down there, and you know their teams are 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 not maybe as polished as they were in previous Super Rugby. The Australian teams are getting closer to them. Yeah. Uh, so is it that Australia are getting better or New Zealand aren't moving on? There's a lot of that talk going on at the moment. So if Ireland were to rock up in June and win a Test series in New Zealand, there'd be a lot of emergency buttons pushed mm. in New Zealand. So this is why they're going to come out like with all the guns blazing. Um, so for that reason, this will test us. This will be a, this will test us for sure. Be, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take it off the table. We we I think we could win a test down there, which would be phenomenal to do it again. Another another glass ceiling broken for the team for the Irish rugby team. Uh, if we won a series, it'd be it'd be it'd be ridiculous because it's very hard to win a series in New Zealand. The Lions can't do that a lot of the time, you know. Yeah, no, we don't want to give them too much time to get it right anyways if there's a World Cup <laughs> yeah. down the road as well. So we'll see what happens. Okay, guys, thanks very much for joining us on the RT podcast this week and we'll chat you all next week. Cheers, Mike. Cheers. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.